But yeah, I haven't had a chance to speak to you uh, for about a month now, so I've really been excited, and it's a word that I've been chewing on for a while. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm, the book of Psalms, chapter 27, one verse, verse 4. And I've preached out of this verse before, but something that the Lord's been highlighting for me in this season, I think will speak to all of us here in this room. Psalm 27, verse 4. I'm going to read it, and you can look along if you don't have a Bible. I encourage you to just lean into the personal space of the person next to you and look along with them. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David writes this and he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Today, I want to talk to you about dwelling in the house of God. The title of this message, if you're taking notes, is called No Place Like Home. To dwell in. In God's house. That's what David wanted. David wanted beyond anything else. And if you're wondering who David is, he's a shepherd boy. He's the most famous king of a nation called Israel. You've probably heard about it if you look at anything in the news. The most famous king in all of Israel. He has one desire, one hope, one thing that his heart burns for. And that is to call the house of God home. To dwell there. For the place where God dwells. For God's house to be his home. Home. Something that I think for all of us we can relate to. Right? This notion of a place called home. I I was born in... My hometown is not Asheboro, North Carolina. My hometown is a small little mountain town called Lenore, North Carolina. And I grew up there and I was born in this apartment complex called Spencer Ridge Apartments. You'll never probably go there ever in your life, but I'm telling you now. And I remember, I remember when I was born, we stayed there in an apartment and my earliest memory as a child is me actually sitting on my mother's lap when this hurricane came through North Carolina called Hurricane Hugo. And it came through, and I remember everything shaking, and the door shaking, the windows shaking, and me just sitting there. My mom tells me later, she was like, you, something was, you're a weird baby. Like, you never cried. Like, you just, even when the hurricane came, you just sat there and just sat there. I was like the most laid-back, chill baby ever. Like, my mom was like, you're so easy. I would just put you in front of the TV, and you just sit there for hours. I was like, Mom, that's not parenting. <laughs> I remember, I remember my, because it's a small town, my, all my family members live nearby. And my grandmother, she actually lived in the same apartment complex. And, uh, and so she lived like a, like a two-minute walk in the same apartment complex. And I remember always going to my grandmother's house. And then after that, we moved to 
a place called, it, the address was 415 Forest Place. I remember it so clearly. And I'm, as I'm saying this, I, I want you to think about your homes. Think about where you grew up. Like I grew up in this, it was a small brick house on a hill. And I remember every winter when it would snow, because it would snow a lot in North Carolina, at least where I lived, we would always grab tra- trash bags and we would sled down the hill because we did not have sleds. I was like, Mama, can we get a sled? She's like, grab it. Here's a trash bag. Here's your sled. This is deception. This is not a trash bag, you know? I mean, this is not a, it was a trash bag. It's not a sled. <laughs> deception of deception. And, uh, and I remember living there. And, but one thing about home that I think about is that in, for each and every one of us, home brings up fond memories. And it also brings up bad memories, doesn't it? When you think of your home, when you think about where you grew up, for me, home was a place where there was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of joy. One thing that I picked up as growing up is, is sarcasm and always picking on one another and laughing at one another and always finding something to laugh about. Humor was something we used to get through even the toughest of times. But also it was a place that was filled with a lot of hurt in my home. I grew up in an abusive home. My father left before I was before he before I'd ever turned like, you know, three days old. My father was already gone before I was ever born. He didn't go to even the hospital to look at me. And so I grew up never knowing my father. I grew up never knowing my father. And I always wondered what, you know, my father looked like. I always wondered what he was about. And I always had this void at home. And I remember it was worse because then my mom started dating this other guy. His name was Chris. And and he was he was very insecure. He was very angry and he was very abusive. And uh, he would he would beat my mother. I remember always walking around the house, always like I was filled with so much anxiety as a child that I would shake. You know, even before we got home, sometimes I could sense, you know, I guess that was the Holy Spirit giving me a prophetic <laughs> inclination because before we would even get home I would shake certain times and that's how I would know he was already there and I'd be like mom we shouldn't go home we shouldn't go home home was a place for me that had really negative bad memories what kind of memories does home bring up for you good bad both I remember growing up, we we lived there and I lived in that situation for 15 years. And so it was almost every week home was a place that I would go to and I would be afraid. So I would run straight to my room, close the door, try and hide in my room as long as possible until the next day starts. And then I can get up, rush out as quickly as possible. And then I can go to school. School was my refuge when home was supposed to be my refuge. And I remember home being just such a, a, a hard place, a dark place. And then I remember even as I was, the older I got, the older I got, I just got sick of it. I was like, home cannot be like this. I cannot, I'm not getting any sleep. I had asthma. I had heart murmurs. My body was breaking down. I had eczema. I had rashes all over my body because my body would manifest the anxiety that I was sensing at home. And I was like, this cannot be. We got to get out of here. I'm going to end this. Or he will end this. This will end. And I remember I started researching ways for me to get a firearm to try and end it. Some of you are thinking, man, this got serious real quick. 
And I remember Thanksgiving Day, my sophomore year in high school, we, we hopped into my mom's car in the middle of the night. She grabbed me and my brother and my sister. She said, come on, we're leaving. Where are we leaving? Where are we going to? She had a map of North Carolina, and she just goes, there. She just picked a place. In the middle of the night, Thanksgiving night, we hop in a car, and we travel about three hours down the road to a small town, a bigger town, but a bigger town than Lenore. Now, sometimes when I talk about Lenore, people think, oh, that's, you lived, grew up in a town with one stoplight and everyone rode on cows to get where they needed to go. No, we were big enough. We had a Walmart. <laughs> where my grandmother grew up, though, she grew up in a smaller town called Collisville, and that town literally only has one stoplight. It still only has one stoplight. <laughs> Never any bad traffic in that town. But we moved three hours down the road to a place called Ashboro. And I remember Thanksgiving night staying in a homeless shelter. So we went from having a home that was filled with laughter, but also a lot of anxiety and hurt, to being homeless. I remember the shame I felt. I remember that feeling of not knowing what it's like anymore to have a home. What, what does it mean to have a home? And, uh, you know, eventually, we, two months later, we were able to get on our feet and we began to, we, we were able to move to the projects and we stayed in low rent housing and we stayed there for about a year in those homes until we were able to move to a place that we could really call home. And uh, these, these were my memories of home. And, and I realized that even when I came into the house of God, that my memories of home influence the way I see this home, the house of God. What are your memories of home? What comes to mind when you think of home, when you think of where you grew up, when you think of what you used to experience? Because God wants to speak into the places that we would call home. In fact, God wants to change the way you think of home. Because, as David said, the one thing he desired of the Lord was not for him to get fame, not for him to have the most money, not for him to have success. It was to dwell in God's home. In fact, the story of humanity is actually about God forging for us a place that we can call home. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 that God creates the heavens and the earth, right? He creates, you know, the sea and then he puts the flounder in and the crabs and everything else and the sea otters and whatever else he spoke into being in that moment. He creates the sea and then he creates the earth and he puts the vegetation there and the animals. And then he makes, you know, he puts the birds in the sky and then it says that he creates man, right? Out of the dust of the earth, he creates man. He puts them together. This is going to be my masterpiece right here. Mm. And then he's like, okay, I need to make something a little better. Go to sleep, Adam. Woman. <laughs> right? Yeah, every time. Mm, yeah, yeah. He, he created man, but he had to make something a little better. So he made woman. <laughs> But 
But Genesis says, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God created all these things. And then it says that he put the man and the woman in the garden. Meaning that there was a specific place that God created for Adam and Eve to dwell. And it was called the garden. You may have heard it called Eden. And it was a home. It was a place where they were to work out of. It was a place where they were to be fruitful and multiply. It was a place where they were to be intimate. It was a place where they were to enjoy God and God was to dwell with them. And they would enjoy one another. And then from that place, take dominion over the earth. But we see in Genesis 3 that the serpent comes in and he deceives Eve. Oh, woman. <laughs> I don't want to insult all the sisters here, so I'm going to stop right there. He deceives Eve and Adam because Adam was right there. Adam does not take responsibility for his wife. And we see that what happens is that they disobey God. So they remove God from the home. And then as a product of removing God from the home, all of a sudden there's fighting and blame in between them. So now there's no more intimacy, no more relational strife. And then when God shows up and God says, Adam, where are you? Adam hides. Adam hides from God. And when he shows up again, God says, wait a minute, I cannot allow this to exist in my family. I cannot allow this to exist in the home they've created. So all of a sudden they are kicked out of their home. And we see the progression that God comes in to bring relational intimacy, that we would take dominion over the earth. But because of sin, God gets kicked out. There's division in the home and ultimately we become homeless. You know, psychologists, there's a, I read this psychologist that said that every human being walks around with this feeling that we have that we once possessed something so wonderful and we lost it. And now we are doing everything in our power to regain it. And you know what that thing is? It's a place that we can call home. It's a place that we can feel is our home. We see it throughout the Bible. I'm giving you the Bible in spark notes and cliff notes right now. What happens is that God takes a man named Abraham. He pulls him out of his pagan life and he tells him to go because there's a land in which he wants him to dwell, a land in which he wants him to call home, a place where he wants him to be fruitful and multiply, that he would fill the earth and subdue it and all the families of the earth would be blessed. And we see that throughout the story of the people of Israel, they're constantly yearning for this place that they can call home, the promised land. And then even when they get there, because of sin, there's infighting, there's strife. But we see this man named David, a man after God's own heart. And we know that, God, that David's one desire more than anything else was to build a house for God, to build a home in which God could dwell the temple. And so David, David brings us before the Lord, but God says, you know what? You have too much blood on your hands. You're a man of strife. And if I let a man of strife build my home, my home will be filled with strife. So your son's going to build it. So his son builds it and it's filled with so much splendor, but there's, but there's so much idolatry. So God gets kicked out of the, out of the home and division comes into the home. And then ultimately the kingdoms are separated, and after that, we find exile. So we find this pattern throughout Scripture of God getting kicked out of our homes, division coming into the home because God's not there, 
and then we getting ultimately displaced from our own homes and doing everything possible to try and make it back. And so what does God do? What does God do? What does God do to alleviate this problem? He sends his son. He sends his son born of a woman, born under law. And he walks the earth as a sinless man. And he himself becomes the very temple. That's why when Jesus was walking the earth, people were weird, weirded out because he's like, what about the temple? He's like, well, in three, we're going to destroy this temple. In three days, it will be built again. And people are like, what kind of semantics, what kind of demolition plan does this man have? He has no explosives. How is he going to destroy the temple? But what he was talking about was himself because home is where God dwells. Where God dwells with his people and then his people are one and then they are fruitful and they multiply. And so Jesus, he goes to the cross, he destroys the temple and in three days he resurrects. And now all of a sudden what begins to happen is that there is a new definition of the house of God. It's no longer a place that's made by human hands. It's no longer bricks and buildings, but it's actually God's people. First Peter Two, four to five, it says, as you come to him, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Ephesians two twenty two says that we together are being built up to be a home in which God can dwell by his spirit. The house of God, the place that David's talking about, the where he can dwell in the house of God all the days of his life. What we find that Jesus is really calling it to is this place that we call the church. A group of people, an ecclesia, and a gathering of individuals that all together, when God dwells with his people and they are his people and he is their God and that is home. So welcome home, this place, these people, home. I want to talk to you about home. I'm going to give you three aspects of being at home in the house of God. Because the funny thing is, is I I talked about these different memories of our homes where we go and we sleep at night. But the funny, the funny thing is, is those memories and those things and those experiences, we just transpose, we put upon This house of God upon this home and we begin to think that the church is just a building or we begin to think that it's this place where I've got to be perfect before I step through the door. And we don't understand God's heart for his house, for the home. So I'm going to give you three things, three aspects about being at home in the house of God. Number one, that the house of God, that the home here is meant to be a place of rest and acceptance. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, listen, you're welcome here. <laughs> tell, just turn to them, tell them, I like you. I like you. I like you. I like you. Umbiel, I like you. <laughs> Check it out. St. Augustine, he said something like this. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. 
And really what he's talking about is until we find our rest in God's house. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. I'm going to give you a lot of Bible verses. So I want you to just write them down so that you can visit them later. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, come to me. All who all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. You know, when I go home after a long day, I'll just invite you into my into my life. All right. This is what I do. When I go home after a long day, I go home and, you know, I just whatever I'm wearing, I don't care. I get rid of it. And I got these I got these sweatpants. These sweatpants, they were made by this company called Triple Five Soul, okay? Now, this company was around in like 1995, but I still, got the, I still got these sweatpants. They are old. They are super baggy. Like, they are like 10 sizes too big for me. But I, I put those things on, and then I grab a T-shirt. I don't care if the shirt's got holes in it. I don't care. Like, it's my, it's my T-shirt, you know? And, like, I put that thing on. And then I change the socks. See, that's the key. When you go home and you're relaxing, you always got to change the socks. You got to get the comfortable socks on. You, you brothers know what I'm talking about. You, you change the socks, right? And so I go home and I change the socks. I mean, I make sure my feet are clean and stuff. But then I change the socks. And I just chill. I kick up my feet. And I don't, you know why I do it? Because I'm home. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care if people, if I got guests, well, if I got guests over it, sometimes. Depending on the guests, I may change my attire. But if we're real close and cool, you you seeing me right in the real, just with the baggy pants, the whole, holy shirt, everything. <laughs> like, I remember one day, uh, Eunice Co. She's our admin. She's she's on vacation right now. I remember she called me because she had a I had a pot that I needed to bring to her because I'd forgotten we had had a, an event called Bibimbap, and I'd forgotten to return the pot. And, um, and when she called me, she was like, Hey, I, I'm up, I'm up at your place. I, she drove her, the church van there. She's like, can you bring the pot down? And, uh, it sounds really bad. <laughs> Talking about marijuana. Uh, the pot, I brought the pot down and <laughs> the Lord's brought me back from a lot y'all. Okay. So. I bring, I bring the kitchen, you know, you, you dish bowl thing down the pot. I brought it down. And I remember I, I just, I just didn't, I put on my jacket. I'm wearing that attire. And then I just threw on some, some old, old, old Birkenstocks. Cause there was a period of time where I thought like, man, I got to get some Birkenstocks. Birkenstocks are in. And so I got, I just threw on the Birkenstocks with my socks on. So I got socks on sandals. Which is like the what you don't do that, brothers. No socks on sandals, okay? And I walk down, and I'm walking down with my my big green jacket on, my hoodie on, and then my baggy pants, my socks on sandals, and the pot. And I just walk outside, and, and I'm like, "Here you go." And as soon as she sees me, she just cracks up laughing. I'm like, "What are you laughing at?" She's like, "Have you seen yourself? Do you know what you look like?" And I'm like, "What? I look good." <laughs> but you know what? I, I'm at home. I'm at home. When I'm at home, I'm not caring about what the way I look. You know, I know that, you know, sisters, when you come home, you, you don't care what anybody thinks. You're taking the makeup off. What? So what? And? Right? 
substance like, oh, no, I keep it on all 24-7. I, I just put pillows next to my face so my face doesn't roll. I just keep my neck straight. You don't care what anyone thinks. Why? Because you're home and you know that when you're home, you're going to be accepted. But see, for many of us, because we maybe our our background was that in our home growing up, we weren't accepted. Maybe our parents were harsh and hard. And so we had to walk around always kind of on our tippy toes, making sure that we don't make a mistake. Because if we make a mistake, someone's going to come down hard on us. You know, growing up, I always was afraid of what people would think. I was always afraid of what my stepdad would say. I wasn't sure if I'd caught him on a good day or a bad day. So I would either just go straight to my room or I would stay on the fringes to make sure that if I interacted with him, I got to keep my interactions limited because I don't know what he may say. And many of us, without realizing it, that's the way that we interact with God. That's the way we interact in the house of God. So we come in late on purpose. So we can sit in the back or we want to sit on the aisles or we want to stay and keep our interactions with God limited because we don't know if we're interacting with him and his people on a good day. So we want to keep it limited just so I can get out of town and get out of Dodge as soon as possible. I don't want to interact with God or any of his people because I don't feel at rest. I don't feel accepted in his house. So when I walk in, I'm going to be on my best behavior today. You know, in classrooms, we like to say that the that the troublemakers sit in the back, right? The troublemakers, they're always the ones that sit in the back and on the fringes. You know, the truth is, is that the ones who sit in the back and on the fringes are usually just afraid of being called out. They're afraid that if they get any attention, it's not going to be a good day. They don't feel accepted. They've been told their whole lives that they're stupid. They don't feel like they can be at home. That's, yet that's how many of us feel in the house of God. That's how many of us feel in the presence of God. I was talking to a brother yesterday. I just happened to run into him. And me and him got dinner. And we were just talking. And he was sharing with me. He was like, you know, Pastor Marcus, I've been, he'd been coming out to our church for a while. And he was just sharing with me, hey, you know what? My humor, my humor is a little different. My humor is a little random. It's a little quirky. Uh, But whenever I do that here, whenever I do that in the house of God, people look at me funny. They make faces at me like, well, why did you even say that? Like, whoa, you're not cool. And And even though this has been his home, this has been the house in which he's dwelled for so long, he's not felt at home. Because there's a... I know I lived in a place for 15 years, but it was not my home. But see, when you enter into the house of God, that's not God's heart. Maybe you grew up in a household where your parents judged you for everything that you did. Maybe you lived in a household where you were constantly competing with your cousins, with your siblings. You were constantly being compared to them. You were constantly being told you're not good enough. And so even when you're at home, you don't really feel like you can change into the baggy pants and the t-shirt. You don't really feel like you can show who you really are because if you do, you're going to get judged. But see, check out what David says. Same chapter, Psalm 27, verse 10. 
David says, you know what? Even if my father and my mother forsake me, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Because, see, God's heart is not for you to be on the outcast. God's heart is not for you to walk into his house and feel like you can't be accepted, to feel like you can't be yourself. God's heart is for you to walk in. And even if everyone else, even if your father and your mother, even if the people closest to you look at you and judge you for who you are, God says, hey, you know what? I accept you. Come in. I look at you and other people may judge you. Other people may say your humor is weird. Other people may say the way you dress is a little whack, but I don't care. When you come into my house, welcome home. It's good to see you. You're welcome here. You can be yourself here. You don't have to put up a front. You don't have to wear the mask. You can be yourself. Psalm 68, 5 to 6 says, a father to the fatherless. The orphan, is, the orphan was the people who were, were most rejected in society. Those were the ones who the society looked against and they cast out on the side. Our generation is the most, we're called the fatherless generation. Because so many of us come from homes where our fathers were absent, our mothers were absent. But God says a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows, meaning a protector of those who do not have provision, is God in his holy habitation, in his holy home. That word holy means set apart. That means that God's house is different than where you grew up. God's house is different than any other place that you went. Maybe you visited a church, but you didn't visit God's home. Because God's house is different. It's a place where you can be fathered. It's a place where you can be protected. It even continues to say in that verse, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Where we felt like we were prisoners, maybe even in your own home, God leads you out into prosperity. Yo, this is good news. You know, something I like to talk about when I say New Philly is I say we're a weird church because we are. Y'all, y'all weird. <laughs> me, too. You're probably looking at me now and saying, yes, you are. But that's OK. See, everywhere else and everywhere else, once you exit this place and you go out everywhere else in the world, they judge you for being different. But in the house of God, it's all right. Outside, we have to wear our mask because we're afraid that if people see our struggles and see how jacked up maybe we are, we're going to get judged and get cast aside. But in the house of God, we, we've come to terms with that fact. And yet we know that God loves us anyways. So you can have rest here. You don't have to, you don't have to kind of compete. You can be yourself. The second thing. The second aspect about being at home in the house of God is that it's not just a place of rest and acceptance, but it's also a place of discipline. Somebody say discipline. discipline. How many of us grew up in a home where our parents, uh, the term we use in the South is called whooped. Uh, in Korea, they say meme. How many of us grew up in a home like that? It's like all the Koreans raise up their hand. I know that meme. 
My mom was really, she was diligent about the man, man. You know, I remember. But see, I knew when I messed up, not when my mom would, would discipline me in public, but when my mom would look at me and be like, just wait till we get home. <laughs> or one time we were in Blockbuster. And, and Blockbuster is a, it's a, where you can rent videos, rent DVDs. And I remember we were up in this, this video store and I was looking at the games. And I've got this story in multiple places, in multiple locations. Why? Because I was stupid. I didn't get the point. But I was in there and I was looking at games and I was wanting to get my, and mom's like, hey, we got, we, Mark's, we're on a tight schedule. We need to go. And I was like, hey, Marcus, you hear me? We got to go. Can't you wait? What'd you say? <laughs> my mom would always do that. She would always ask me, what did I say? Even though I know she heard me. She just bait me into confirmation. What'd you say? And, and I remember clear as day where I, you know, because it's biblical. You know, when Jesus was in the temple and Mary was like, you know, son, we got to go. He said, you know, woman, don't you know I'm in my father's house? And so I was like, uh, woman? <laughs> Can't you wait? <laughs> Yo, sin is real. You know, all of us have fallen. We all make mistakes. There's no one righteous. And she said, woman, get your little black butt in the car. We're going to handle this when we get home. And then when I got home, we handled it. <laughs> I slept on my stomach that night. You know, my, my mom didn't know Jesus like that, but she knew biblical principles. You know, see, God loves you enough to accept you as you are. But when I say as you are, I'm talking about your gifting, your giftings, your talents, your temperament, your ethnicity, your gender. God loves you to accept you as who you are in that regard. But then he also loves you enough to make sure that you become the person that he's called you to be. And that doesn't just happen through him just accepting you and saying, you know what? You're just so awesome exactly the way you are. And no one's ever going to speak into that. But he has to teach us. He has to teach us in the way in which we should go, that when we get older, we would not depart from it. He has to discipline us even through spiritual leaders speaking into our lives, saying, hey, don't do that. Stop doing that. How about you learn to do this instead through sometimes coming into our lives with certain circumstances and situations? Why? Because God cares about you enough, not just simply to leave you as you are. But for some of us, because of our homes, the discipline was maybe too harsh or too lenient. When we are disciplined, we, we reject it and we, we think that we're not loved because we're being disciplined. When actually, discipline is evidence of love. I read in the news about this kid. I think he was like 16, 17. And he, he got into he drunk driving and he killed this woman. And the defense, he got off for this. And he did not go to prison for it. Even though he had gotten into other situations where there was this like naked 
minor in his car in another situation. And the defense lawyer, his defense for him was something called affluenza. Meaning because he has affluence, because he was rich and his parents never disciplined him, his parents never spoken to his life. You know, you shouldn't discipline him. You shouldn't send him to prison for what he's done because that would be wrong. He's never been disciplined before. Disciplining him now would be wrong. (laughs) Because that's but that's our culture's mindset towards discipline. In our schools, see the school I went to, I went to this school called Davenport Elementary School in Lenore, Davenport Bobcats. And our principal, they used what we call corporal punishment, <laughs> meaning that when you acted up, you didn't just go to timeout and you stand in a corner and look at the corner with, you know, just by yourself. No, what happened was the parents had given the principal authorization to whoop your kid. <laughs> and I remember one time I hit someone. And they were like, I remember Mrs. Ingram. She was like, Marcus, you are going to go to Principal Wayne's office. I was like, Principal? Principal Wayne? Why I got to go to Principal Wayne? I, she hit me first. And it, no, she didn't. Okay, I just lied. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I heard just she, she. Yeah, yeah, I know it happened. <laughs> Sin is real. I went to Principal Wayne's office, and he said, Marcus, sit down. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, scared. And then he put me over his knee. I, was, I, was, I think it was like kindergarten, first grade. I thought some of you were going to be like, what, how old are you, 17? No. <laughs> and then when I went home, I said, Principal Wayne, he, he whooped me, mom. And my mom was like, good. You deserved it. I never did it again. Many of us, we have a, you know, because everything has been just this, this reaction to abuse, we think that discipline is wrong or discipline is a sign of hate, but not love. I want you to turn to, to Hebrews 12. But see, in the house of God, God wants you not just to be accepted for who you are, but he wants to mold you into the person That he's called you to be. Hebrews 12. We're going to read from verses 5 to 11. It says. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He's talking to the church here, the writer. For my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. In other translations, it says you are bastards and not sons. You know why we, many of you even cringe when I said that word bastard is because bastard is a cursed word. It means that if you are an illegitimate child, you are cursed. That's why in nowadays so many children who grow up without their fathers and who grow up without discipline walk around feeling like their lives are cursed. But God doesn't want you to walk around as an illegitimate child, but as a son. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. And we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and it seemed best to them. But he who disciplines us for our good, he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, a disciplined life is a trained life. A disciplined life is a fruitful life. A disciplined life is a life that is going to stay the course and is going to actually end up with success in God's eyes. But if you're never disciplined, if you never go through that, if you never have to submit to godly authority, if you never have to do things that may be in your flesh and in your own mind you don't want to do, then you're never going to be able to obey God. You're never going to live a life where he's going to be able to trust you with the call that he has for you. So God has to make his home for us a place of discipline. I love Proverbs 12.1. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. You can look it up. I didn't, that is not a Marcus translation. <laughs> look it up. Look at it with your own eyes. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid in school people are like don't call nobody stupid that's mean god's like if you hate correction stupid because <laughs> in his house he wants you not to be stupid he wants you to learn how to live a life righteous live a life that is filled with the knowledge and glory and revelation of who he is so that you will be blessed and your families will be blessed See, the, the, the first two, they're about you. A place of rest and acceptance and a place of discipline. The third is about someone else. God desires his house to be a house, a place of hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, it says, uh, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, without complaining. In the NLT, it says, cheerfully share your home. With those who need a meal or a place to stay. Romans twelve thirteen says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I think it's interesting the word hospitality has the word hospital in it. Because a hospital is a place where the sick come and they receive mending and healing and being brought to full strength. God intends for his house to be a place where when people come in, they turn to us and they receive mending, healing and strength. This was something I've been meditating on specifically in the month of December. Earlier in the month, I got invi I was invited to go over to a friend's place on a Monday on my Sabbath day. I was went rock climbing. And then after that, a friend invited me over for dinner and for to watch dinner and not watch dinner, <laughs> eat dinner and watch a movie. And I was like, cool, you know, of course, I, dinner, free dinner, <laughs> free movie. Let's do this. I'm going to go. And I was walking. And as I was going, I just started co conversing with the Lord. And I was like, God, you know, people invite me to, over to their place quite a bit. But God, why is it that I don't invite people over as much 
And it was funny because over the two days before then, like three different people were like, Mark, you never invite us, invite me over. Yeah. You've never invited me over. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the only time you had me over was beaming bomb. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And then, I, but I was thinking about it. I was bringing it before God. And I was like, God, you know, I want to be more hospitable, but God, why am I not being hospitable? What's, what is causing me not to be more hospitable? And then all of a sudden, God started to bring me back to my home. He started to remind me of when I lived in Lenore in our home. And I had this friend, this my closest friend from age eight on was this Chinese guy named Danny Fu. And his parents owned a Chinese restaurant called Hong Kong Palace, really original name. Uh, they owned, owned a bunch of Hong Kong restaurants in, in the area. And, uh, but they were really successful, had a really nice place, lived in a really wealthy neighborhood. I did not. And I remember we would all, I would always go to Danny's place, always go to Danny's place, always hang out, always play video games. But then I remember the few times I asked mom, hey, mom, hey, can Danny come over? Mom was like, no, why don't you just go to his place? I was like, all right, yeah, of course, I like his place. I'll go to his place. And then I remember more and more I would try, I would think about inviting people over. But in my heart, I was like, you know. Actually, I'd much rather go to their place. Their place is so much nicer. Their place has, you know, he's got the Nintendo 64. I only have the Super Nintendo. He's got, he's got all the newest things. I only have this. My room's so much smaller than his room. You know what? I'd much rather just go to his place. And I remember my mom would always say, you know, hey, why don't you just go to their place? Why you, don't, don't invite them here. I think over the, the 10 years I knew Danny and I was close with Danny, we, he came to my house twice. I think I went to his house. I can't even count it on my hands and toes. But the funny thing was, was that we would always have to keep our house clean, right? Especially the living room. Like the living room, my mom would always be like, hey, clean the house. Keep the living room clean. I said, why? Just in case. Because you never know who may stop by. And if they stop by and they come into the house, we at least want them to see that the living room is clean. Don't invite anyone over, but at least keep the, the house clean just in case someone stops by. And I realized that over time, what it began to ingrain in me was a shame towards my home. I don't want to invite anyone to my home because what if someone sees my home and they don't like it? What if it's not clean enough? What if it's not big enough? What if it's not nice enough? I don't want to invite anyone there. I'd much rather just go to where they are. And the interesting thing is that many of us have this kind of point of view towards the house of God. I don't want to invite someone into God's house. What if they come in and they don't like it? What if they come in and God does something weird and everything gets all crazy and then they see how our family really is? <laughs> but we got to keep everything clean. We got to stay on our best behavior. We got to make sure that everything is tight here in the house just in case. But I don't want to invite anyone over. I don't want to reach out and just possibly say, hey, are you interested in coming to my house? Are you interested in coming to the place where I dwell? With my God and with my family. Because we walk around with this intrinsic shame towards God's house. We're not ashamed of the bar. We're not ashamed of the club. We're not ashamed of the streets. 
But the one place that we are ashamed of for some reason is the house of God. When this is the one place we should be proud of. This is the one place where people actually get set free. I want people to see how our family truly is. And to see that the father's present. And that in this family, there's life. It's life abundant. He desires for it. God desires for his house to be a place of hospitality. That when people come in, they see, whoo, this is a house that I can be proud of. This is a house where I'm accepted. This is a house where I can grow. This is a house where I'm taken care of. And all of that leads us to the last point. And this is the last thing I want to say is that ultimately the house of God is meant to be a place where we build a legacy. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this last point, but our generation is, is the generation that has, that has lost sight of what it means to actually leave a legacy. You know, the motto of our generation is YOLO, you only live once. <laughs> YOLO is stupid. <laughs> You only live once, but your name lives on. When you die, there will be other people who will remember the life that you lived and remember the legacy that you leave and whether or not that legacy is one of faith or unbelief. See, but one of the things I'm most thankful for here in this house is that I know that I'm going to leave a legacy of faith. I've come, I came into this house as a knucklehead, you know, college exchange student who knew nothing about nothing, who was going to the prayer meetings Friday night. And as soon as the Friday night prayer meetings left was over, I was going to Hobar in Hongdae. <laughs> and I was partying it up. And then I encountered God. And I really encountered him. And I recognized that he loved me for who I really was. He wasn't simply just trying to change me. He accepted me. He loved me for who I am, my true identity. And then he was changing me and morphing me into that person. And then not only that, but he desired for me to sow into the lives of other people. He desired for me to have men under me that I could disciple, that I could sow into, and that they could disciple other men, and they could bring those men up, and, and then later on that they themselves could leave legacies of faith. There was this brother that used to attend our, our church named Zach Dean, and he came in, and he was, I remember him, he came in, and it, everyone loves him now, but when he came in, he was totally different. And I remember our first Bible studies, we were sitting together and I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> but over the course of our time together, Zach began to feel loved and accepted. And then he began to grow and to change. And then all of a sudden, Zach was like, you know what? I want to sow because you sown into my life. I want to sow into someone else's. And then all of a sudden he began to sow into guys lives like Ted Grillo who is one of our leaders here in this house, who's going to be sent down to Busan. And he began to sow into Ted's life. And Ted began to get so raised up in the Lord very quickly, that, and as well as Mark Rado, who used to attend our church. And they were like, you know what? I want to sow into other people's lives. And then Ted gets raised up to sow into someone's life like Sam Ra, who's sitting right here. Sam came in and Sam got completely transformed. Sam's a different person. 
So that then he can raise, be raised up and say, you know what? I don't want to just live for myself anymore. I want to live for others. And I want to leave a legacy so that when I look back, I can have the joy of knowing that there are generations after generations after me who will be walking with the Lord. Not just that, but also in terms of marriage and family. Our generation is a generation that's absolutely terrified of marriage and family. I'll admit it because I walked in it being terrified. Why? Because we're afraid that we're going to mess up someone else's life. My life's already jacked up. If I bring someone else into it, children, I don't want children. Not because, not just because of selfishness, but really because we're afraid that we're going to leave the wrong kind of legacy. That we're going to duplicate the same issues that our parents had. But I'm going to tell you the truth. When you're in God's house, you leave a legacy of blessing. Not curses. When you're in God's house, you leave a legacy of faith and not unbelief. When you're in God's house, you leave a legacy that that 20, 30, 40 years down the road, you may not have even thought that far, but people will speak of you in your life and say, you know what? They were the reason why I'm walking with Jesus. They are the reason why I'm free. They are the reason why my life is different. They are the reason why the school I attend is different. They are the reason why the business that I'm at is totally different. They are the reason why this genre of music is totally different. They are the reason. That is the legacy that they're leaving. And that's what God desires in his house. One thing, desire of the Lord, that one thing I'll seek that I may dwell in his house, in his home, all the days of my life. See, when the end of days come, what's going to happen is that we think, oh, we're going to be lifted up into heaven. Oh, we're going to live up on the clouds with wings and harps and everyone's going to have a good time. No, no. What's going to happen is that heaven's going to come to earth. And that God's going to establish his home here with his people. And that's what he's already doing through his church. That we will be his people and he will be our God. And we will rule with him on the earth forever. See, that's what God is calling us to. Oh, let's pray together right now.